0: Seymour, you're being totally unfair and the teachers won't stand for it.
1: Teachers, you don't have the guts to strike.
0: You don't have the guts to take us all on. That's it. Reich. Oh.
1: Attention, this is an emergency broadcast. All is well in the school. My authority as principal is total. Hey, give me that.
0: Attention, teachers! We're on strike. Ha! Oh, oh, strike. oh, strike? oh no! Strike, Miss Over? Are you on? St- Go home, children. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Thank God, you know, I am a podcaster. I am by no means a journalist.
3: It's explosive, like a marriage judgment. You know,
2: it's like a um, uh, you know, uh, pedantic geek and like uh, former drunken college radio DJ mm-hmm. slash uh, attempted rock crit Which is uh, turns out to be really, tra- really great training to be a podcaster mm-hmm. And on that note, hello everybody, welcome once again to giving the mic to the wrong person Back after a short break, and all podcasts are day re- who aren't releasing weekly are kind of de gear required to state so that kind of a thing I am your host, Jeremy, joined here on a cold, but not terribly cold, and fortunately not heatwave, Portland Sunday afternoon by uh, some old and new friends here to talk about a rather timely topic, and that is the strike and the teacher labor actions and charter schools and all that related goodness. Going around the table, if you could please uh, introduce yourself to our viewing audience, Hi,
4: um, I'm Jody. I am a special education teacher um, in outer Southeast Portland. So I'm working with a 100% free and reduced lunch population, like 28 different languages spoken in our district. Um, And I've been a teacher for seven years, which is statistically abnormal for a special education teacher. I think the statistic is... Three years is the average for a special education teacher, so. Um, I am also on the executive board for my union, local. Um, I'm the grievance rep, so I'm the person that sits in on the meetings when people are getting put on plans of assistance or potentially fired or in trouble for some reason. Um, Or when a principal is breaking our contract, so that is my role within the union um i've been active in my union for about four years now in different capacities and i was brought to being part of the union because i started teaching in wisconsin so when you i was after act 10 i started the year of the recall election for scott walker and
2: 2011 wasn't it
4: um I started in
2: 2012. Okay. So. Yeah, you're right. So that would which yeah. would, was the yes, yep. the year after.
4: Yeah. So, um being in super high stress, super violent kind of surroundings in within my school um and not really having super strong union protection, but still having very um passionate union leaders um and people who were still really fighting for this. Um was pretty Radicalizing, like seeing people who didn't have contractual bargaining rights and the protections that people in Oregon have, um, but still really strongly believing in unions um, was set me out kind of <laughs> realizing from the beginning how valuable having a union is.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Thank you.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, my name is Candy Luisa Herrera. I am your friendly neighborhood union staffer. Uh, I work for uh, Washington Education Association um, as a it's called Uniserv director which is the stupidest name ever I just tell people I'm a union organizer <coughs> like the name doesn't tell you anything about the job uh, it's like hey jargon um, and I am a member of Portland DSA and I should say I should take the opportunity to say noth- none of the opinions expressed in this show reflect <laughs> necessarily um, the opinions of WEA, they're all my own. And I'd like to chime in that my opinions
4: are not my locals, and they are not that of OEAs, either. <laughs>
3: I'm glad we got that out of the way. Um,
2: <laughs> uh, all my opinions are uh, uh, completely reflective in copyright and trademark. Give me the mic industries. Uh, 2019. <laughs> I, uh, I built this podcast till I shall die upon it. <laughs> anyway, oh, uh, please, Candy, continue.
3: Yeah. um, Well, I got to say, I was a community organizer before I got into, before I got a union gig. So I was already sympathetic to to unions. Um, But my background, I'm a formerly undocumented immigrant. And so that played a large role in kind of developing my consciousness. But the way I, it was, the way I got into organizing was (laughs) so boring. It was reading Noam Chomsky. It was like reading a book. And I'm like, oh, I should try to... uh, come to one of these meetings and um, that's how I got radicalized but I mean I feel like the reasons why those books resonated with me was as a result of my lived experiences so I'm not going to just say I picked up a book randomly Um, and so that's how I got involved so then I was doing community organizing for homeless rights and um, immigrants rights obviously and then I um, my union gig was in grad school and um, I became, uh, as a, a grad assistant, so it was called GAU, University of Florida Graduate Assistance United. I was going
2: to say, where, where, where were you lo- located uh, during this?
3: This was Gainesville, Florida. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and so I immediately, like, jumped into it full steam, and, like, I was um, the steward chair, so I changed, uh, trained all the stewards, and I was um, part of the grievance committee, and I was on the bargaining team, and, like, everything you could do, I, I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. And so... Um, and I loved it. And like I thought, the reason I went to grad school was because I thought I wanted an international, I wanted an international degree, so I could. Uh, this is almost embarrassing to say, so I could do uh, international human rights in law school. And then I realized, um, for one thing, that's not going to change shit. <laughs> like all the ICC does is like um, persecute continental Africans. Um, and so I realized, like, if I wanted to change stuff, it would be through the union movement. Like, everybody has to work. Like, that's a, it's such a universal um, principle. Like, that's a struggle that we all deal with. So that was the reason why um, I was like, labor, this is it. Like, this is all I want to do. And so I still feel that way.
2: Well, yeah, yes, thank you.
3: Uh, my name
5: is Marge Hogan. I'm a Spanish teacher in Southwest Washington. I work in the Evergreen District. Um, it's the largest district in Southwest Washington, um, one of the larger districts in Washington State. We're also part of the UNISERV that Candy works for, um, the Riverside UNISERV. Um, there's a collection of locals. Um, and I've been in Evergreen since, I think, 2011. Um, I couldn't get a job when I first moved to Portland. I'm from the Northwest originally, but I, I moved away for um, undergraduate and graduate school. Um, so I went back to school to get my teaching certificate. and the year that I graduated, it was hard to get a job in Portland, in Beaverton, uh, uh, on this side of the river where I live. So I and a number of the people in my kind of graduating year ended up in um, Southwest Washington. And it is interesting to see how kind of the politics of each District and different things that are going on at the state level make it more appealing or less appealing um, to work on either side of the river, just given the year and the current contracts mm-hmm. and the and the um, the kind of environment, administrative environment at the district level. Um, so I I'm teaching Spanish right now, first through fourth year. So really enjoy it. Um, and I got into union work I think in my second year of teaching. Partly I had I think I had like a revelation at some point it sounds very obvious now but um you know i think if you if you grow up or you spend your college years or graduate school years kind of thinking about what can you do to support other people in their struggles or or what can you do to change a system that you see is failing um for the majority of people um it's actually really effective to start from where you are and what you're doing and uh i think it's really easy for us to get sucked into other people's kind of um, battles and, and engage in sort of an, an activism sort of lifestyle, um, which is, that's also great. But for me, I feel like I've um, uh, learned to be more effective by working where I am and and, and with whom I am, if that m- makes sense. Um, it's not like I, um, it's not like I think that uh, union organizing in, my district is the most important thing for everybody to be doing, but it's important for me to be doing because that's where I live and breathe every day with my kids and my union brothers and sisters.
2: That's what it comes down to, isn't it? Just kind of material circumstances on the ground where we, you know, the particularities of where, when, who, and what we're doing um, kind of like can come together and kind of like force us into something better. Thank you very much.
5: Yeah, I should say too that um, I, in in talking about you know union activism and also work that I represent myself only. Um, not, I'm not talking on behalf of my union. I'm currently serving as an executive officer in the union, but definitely doesn't um, what I say here doesn't reflect on uh, on that body.
2: Excellent. Thank you. So, the, uh, but uh, I want to thank you all for joining me here and uh, taking time out of uh, your day off. Um. <laughs> To come to come help provide emotional labor for me because I need <laughs> <laughs> I need edumacating. No. <laughs> well, well the, in fairness, you did offer the donuts. So. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, I offered donuts and tea, so I try to be a somewhat gracious host. And there, and if anybody wants uh, wants uh, any, there are uh, cats available in the next room for petting. We're currently uh, zonked out on the bed and not actively fighting for once. Yeah. You know, you, you take you, you one takes one moments when one can's. I guess we're currently in a. One hopes prolonged resurgence of not of not just labor action nationwide. um I think yeah, the, the the numbers just got came out very recently. That what was it? The number of like of like labor actions and strikes in 2018 was something like I can't. It was like just there's some huge um, some huge like there like the number it was like was it like dozens more than than there have been for years. It was just like some huge momentous uh, increase and um and so i wanted to i figured you know tie in the national let's say the national story of that with our with the fact that we you know hey you know in uh in portland metro we have um you know we have our own group you know our own organized teachers who are also you know going through their own fights and and so kind of like just tie in like the national story with the with the local actions um what do you think is a better tact should we, do we want to get into the history at all of from like um like Wisconsin and Chicago teacher actions through like the last few years until now, or do we should we start start focus more on like the local stuff or what are you feeling
3: I think just to give credit where credits due. Yeah. I think Chicago and
4: yeah, and I think some- giving a brief overview of kind of like there are these really big things where they really change the game and then. Mm -hmm. building up to
2: the last Mm -hmm. two years this new school year is beginning there is an uprising taking hold in the city of Chicago tonight the biggest teacher strike in America in a generation is underway 29,000 teachers out on the picket lines 350,000 American students shut out of school and here is the heart of the standoff how do you judge if a teacher is good or not
0: good enough in the classroom and who should decide Even though this is happening in Chicago tonight, it could light a fuse in American cities and towns across this country. And ABC's Alex Perez leads us off.
6: It's the largest teacher strike this country has seen in more than two decades. 29,000 union members strong, refusing to go to work until they get what they want.
2: We are fighting
5: for dignity and respect and for a fair contract. We say fight back!
6: The showdown pits the powerful teachers' union against Chicago's mayor, President Obama's former chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel.
2: So 49 I guess the uh we we come to uh a brief side anecdote of like where I personally could you know I am not a uh, uh I am not a teacher I am from a family of teachers mm-hmm. parents my sister is she teaches in Raleigh and she was actually she went out on the the one day walkout they did was it in the summer? Whenever, whenever, when, when North Carolina had their walkouts, she participated in that. And to my parents' credit, they at least supported. They're like, yeah, you know, they were fully. That's the thing. They watch Fox News, fully supportive of my sister, because like she's like, yeah, you know, they, they uh were fully behind, you know, the union action. Figure this one out. I don't know. Anyway, um, you know, minor, you know, just a few minor issues here, um. My brother was a substitute teacher for a little while after he graduated. I was starting to go through the paperwork of becoming a substitute teacher after I had lost a job in the early aughts and was at, uh, living back home. And I wound up not doing that, which is probably a good thing. So, like, you know, my own person, you know, but it's like, so I am not I'm the one person at this table who is not involved in, let's say, formal education.
3: You didn't teach in grad school?
2: I don't know. I, ne- I never went to grad school.
3: Oh, I thought you did. I'm sorry. I'm
2: um, I was I was a student for six years. Okay. Uh, because sort of. I, like- <laughs> yeah. Because I was a... Um, because I was a... I double majored in engineering, but I never actually went on to grad school.
3: Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, my thing is... Um, so, I don't come from... My, my, I come from a family like like... Um, custodians and like, uh, housekeepers and stuff like that. But the reason why I've, the reason why I wanted to go into education unions is because I was, that was, that was undocumented. And it was just like, you don't, you're kind of forced to value education when, (laughs) when you're not allowed to engage in it. And so, um, I couldn't go to school until I was 21. And I was just like, and all I wanted to do was go to school. Like all I wanted to do was to stop. Like I had like three jobs. I was washing dishes at two of them. Like, um, and it was just like it's like all i want to do is study and um get out of this and so that's part of what um that's part of the reason why i got into education unions and also the fact that it's female dominated and like um i'm a feminist and i'm you know i'm, I'm drawn to that
2: i was gonna say one one little note that uh as sarah jaffe you know labor reporter and podcaster extraordinaire herself had pointed out um also she's if you ever get a chance listen to Sarah Jaffe when she's on a podcast, she's also extremely fucking funny. She pointed out, especially in um, in Wisconsin, because I guess we're we give the history to go get up to the the current moment in Wisconsin. Like Walker targeted, deliberately targeted um, nurses and teachers, uh, and uh, which you know it's just shockingly tend to be you know mainly women. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, as yeah. opposed to say the police and the firemen's unions, which were excerpted from all of the uh that was the, that was the thing on the wisconsin mm-hmm. wasn't yes. it yeah.
3: there's in Florida every time so there was an attack on the pensions like every other year in Florida, and then every time they filed a bill, they always carved out the um mm-hmm. the police and the firefighters' unions and so it's like clear sexism like there's no um the firefighters are fairly new they're like this i don't know like the Switzerland of union. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't have to take a yeah. side <laughs> stuff. But um, the policemen are... Or are, uh, are the police officers' union, like, they're always on the worst side of political issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and being... Starting my
4: professional career in Wisconsin, like, I don't even think I ever gave a thought to that there were other unions outside of teaching and nursing, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just... My... Obviously I know other industries are unionized. My family is comes from very strong union miners um in northern Minnesota, but um the climate in Wisconsin like people only talked about, you know, those shrill screaming harpies down mm-hmm. at <laughs> down in Madison trying to fight for teachers getting paid more than hard working policemen or whatever. I uh, you know, and so the rhetoric was very Sexist in a lot of ways that I would hear, um, but at the same point, like I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> yeah. one, thing,
5: yeah. one thing I was curious about, I wonder um, that folks who know more about this could um, could explore that. I find it really interesting that one reason that people uphold um, sort of the victories in the uh, Chicago Teachers Union and and um, some of those early. Uh, Battles in the current wave of of um, teacher unionism is because people began to form contracts that were created in consultation with communities and families, and contracts that were. Designed specifically to drive community priorities and not just wages and benefits, mm-hmm. and that that was something that has become inspiring and um, in, very effective, you know, mm-hmm. um, in achieving those goals, but also inspiring in a way that it kind of circumvents that greedy teacher argument, mm-hmm. um, because you're basing the contract not just on what you want for yourself, but also um, what your community has explicitly told you that they need from their schools. I wonder if. People have like reflections on that for I don't I don't know a lot about specifically how that developed yeah. in Chicago or I, Oh, go
0: ahead. I
3: was gonna say there's a there's a labor notes book mm-hmm. and it has the most forgettable name. Uh but it's about the I know years. I own it and I don't I can't even can't uh, think just about like the, the worst name. <laughs> um it but uh Do I have a it's like reviving no. Uh, ju- how to jumpstart your union? Okay, yeah. Okay, God, have... That is a stupid name. Um, it should be like a narrative. This Chicago teachers <laughs> union strike, like, would be so much more compelling to see on a book cover. Anyway, um, so I, it talks about it. Oh, go ahead. Jen.
2: No, I I know at least. I think both Haymarket and and Jacobin have both put out have both put out like books on it in in the, within the last couple of years of like Chicago specifically because I think Chicago's one of those things where I wanted to bring it up because yeah, you had all well, first you had like all the um, like, the big action, you know, the big union action in 2011, like you know, which was, I think it was, was it statewide in Wisconsin? Because I know, because we heard about it, we definitely heard about it in Portland, and I can remember um on, like, our message boards talking about it, and, like, and even, you know, John Darniel, I can never pronounce his name. I've known the guy online for years. I can never figure out how to pronounce his name properly. Darnier uh, from the Mountain Goats it was recorded, um, it was, like, recording videos of him um you know, him performing Power in Union in Solidarity.
0: There is power in a factory, there is power in the land, there is power in the hand of the worker, but it all amounts to nothing if together we don't stand, oh, there is power in a union.
2: They, they kind of made unfortunate choices with how the uh, how they decided to do the union thing and, the, and, you know, feeding that into a recall election, which...
4: Right. It was in 2011. Um, I did... I was still living in Oregon and I had not yet moved there, so I'm not super well-versed in what happened before me because, mm-hmm. you know, I live in that only child universe of if I'm, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not involved, <laughs> it didn't happen, you know? Um <laughs> Just kidding. Um, could you could you talk about why that failed? Oh God, I don't even know. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I let me think on that um, yeah, yeah, to yeah, why yeah, like right. and read something by someone smarter than me to. But I, I, you know, I have my theories. But I think it just also came of a time when we were seeing Tea Party being like this force and politics and just the super right swing all mm-hmm. around and to have something so left as like thousands of people marching in Madison um, It was very contrary to like the rest of the nation's movement towards, you know, give me liberty or give me death, mm-hmm. you know, right. snake flags. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, <laughs>
2: Yeah, they had the fucking tea party rallies in Portland too. Oh yeah, <laughs> down, uh, at the at, I'm not going to mention the business, but there's a certain business on Burnside where I can remember them having it in a parking lot. Parking lot is now a condo, but anyway.
4: And like this is totally just me. I don't have any evidence to back this up, um, and I could be totally wrong on this, but in Wisconsin in particular, I have a feeling that it is very rooted in racism, because. If you look at where Scott Walker's from, where this conservative base in Wisconsin is, it's all the outer suburbs, it's very, very white, it's very much higher income, mm-hmm. and then you have thousands and thousands of teachers in Milwaukee, um, where it is very black, and it is very, very, very poor. And a lot of what teachers were talking about really greatly impacted students from poverty and students of color um, because of the long historical charter voucher system um, in Milwaukee. Most of the white students go to very specific schools. Mm-hmm. And if they're public schools, there's like two or three high schools that maybe there are a, a lot of white kids and the rest of the white kids go to charters or vouchers. Um So I think perhaps that when people are talking about education, the people with the loudest voices, the people with most privilege are looking at their children's experiences or their experiences in schools and going, what, it's not, it's not that bad. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? And we're like, but you're not living in the urban centers and you're not a teacher, you know, and like in being a teacher in those centers, It's super eye-opening, and it's super eye-opening to not just, like, education, but also the intersectional struggles that people in those very segregated places feel, Mm -hmm. because Milwaukee is the most segregated city in the United States. Um, It's super clear, like, the lines are super drawn and clear and historical, like, this is where white people live, this is where black people live, this is where Hispanic people live, Um, and never the... Never the two shall meet. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, so when I think about like, I wonder how much that had to play in why the union struggles weren't more successful, mm-hmm. is just kind of that fervor around right-wing ideas at the time, and just kind of a shielding from the realities of what a lot of teachers were seeing.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you, yeah. I <laughs> i remember um i was actually in wisconsin a lot around that time and i can remember seeing especially during the build the because i think what was it the the streaks kind of didn't fizzled out and they decided to, to do the recall campaign mm-hmm. and you think yeah this is like 2011 because i can remember being in wisconsin because we had customers in wausau and uh, a lot of much more much more amish people in wausau in, in like mm-hmm. central wisconsin than you would think mm-hmm. you know i guess you know the cheesemakers would congregate together also visit Abbotsford if you've got a chance. A lot of good uh, little dairy shops there. Um, but I, I just remember seeing like just the billboards for the recall campaign. Even you know in my brief time visiting there, and but was kind of thing where. They, but yeah, well, um, actually getting back to what you'd mentioned before about the uh, the limited imagination. Of like a lot of like you know traditional union types is like you know we our political activity can only be funnel you know is only in funneled through the you know certain channels and certain channels alone like we have to go through establishment like well well you know we we'll do this you know if we can't do it a traditional strike we'll do like a traditional electoral type campaign and like that's it and you know so kind of there's not enough uh expansion of even like imagination
3: yeah like one of the criticisms that I read about what happened in Madison was that you. Know, There was so much energy at the Capitol and they had, it was like a perfect, it would have been a perfect time to declare a general strike. And there was so much um, support that they, it could have been, um, I mean, I'm not sure how, there was potential that it could have been successful and that they didn't do it because they were too scared.
4: Well, and also looking at this, a lot of the changes that Walker enacted didn't include um, firemen or policemen, or it was very specifically targeting. And so I feel like probably a lot of union
3: people were like, well, that's not my struggle. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't that solidarity built. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, cause you, you hear about the Midwest about being so union strong, you know, and it, um, just as a result of the, uh, uh the industrial unions there and mm-hmm. uh, obviously auto workers, but the, my understanding is that that there it it transformed from from to basically transactional unionism, and so you know when you have more it's tra- it's you know they say the dichotomy is transactional versus tr- um transformational unionism where you have more uh, you know rank and file activism you have um, relationships with other unions you have relationships with the community, and so when this types of things when you get attacks you're ready for them because you've built these re- built and nurtured these relationships for a long time and your membership is engaged um, and so my understanding is that's what kind of what happened in the midwest is that it just went into transactional unionism and so that's why everybody was so unprepared you know that's why you didn't have relationships with like the firefighters they will step up occasionally and they were in
4: madison as well yeah. like I, I i'm not meaning to dismiss them as like they didn't right. do anything of course they did, but I feel like the brunt of it was placed on those non public safety unions, public unions
5: right I wonder if too how much of it has to do with just like you're saying there are certain um, policemen and firemen that were um exempted from those changes. There's also a huge part of the workforce that might have grown up, like Candy said, those union values with a union grandpa, with a union mom, but the jobs that they're working in now are not union jobs. And so it means that you have to step outside of your own role to really recognize, oh yeah, what, what I remember my parents talking about, what I remember my grandparents talking about, that's what's happening with teachers right now. Because if you're not a union member yourself, then you have to you know, take that on for someone else.
4: Well, and, you know, my fa- like I said before, my family is very from like coal miner union or not coal miner taconite miner unions. Um, and so my family that stayed in northern Minnesota are still super like union Democrats. Um, but my parents left, they didn't want to be in that, like, they wanted to leave. And though both of them worked in nursing, um, they were they are not union people, like, they were obligatory members but they were they are not supportive of unions Um, and I think that there was there might be just that generational shift you know between like my parents age you know who came of age and working in like the 60s and 70s um, versus now we're realizing once we started going away from unionized like our generation is a little more like, "Wait, no <laughs> yeah, yeah. parents were wrong that 's weird <laughs>
5: yeah I wonder, we talk a lot about um, at within uh, the union at local conversations and also at the state level about um, especially facing you know, a, a post-Janus decision world, what is it that we are doing? I'm not sure that they would articulate it in terms of transformational unionism. <laughs> Obviously, that's, you know, more uh, a better goal, I think, for us. But um, what are we doing to be relevant for incoming teachers? And recognizing that for a lot of teachers, even if they don't think, you know, the gra- people graduating from teaching programs, a lot of times they might not think of themselves as career educators, but they might be interested in teaching because um, they have a... A kind of a profound interest in social justice, or they want to work in something that's related mm-hmm. to social justice, and so the union has to look at, like, what can we do that, is, that makes us clearly not just a service model union mm-hmm. that demonstrates that we, um, as a union, support them in that, support students, support communities, um, so that those incoming educators will feel like, oh, I see that the union is the professional body that does these things, you know, in our communities.
2: Can we um do a brief explainer of what the of the Janus decision?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um so it's I, I don't want to get into the legal arguments for it because um they're uh spurry I mean they they're they're just they're they're stupid arguments. Um the only reason why Janice was uh the Janus challenge was successful against unions because of the makeup of the Supreme Court. So, like, I don't, I don't give a whole lot of credence to the arguments. Like, it's not like, oh, well, they were really right, and they're, you know. So, anyway, uh, Janus, what it basically did is um, it got rid of agency fee, uh, also known as fair share dues. So, like, in a lot of, ooh, I think in half of the states in the United States, um, what was the case two years ago is they were uh, called fair share of states. So, you don't you are not compelled to join the union. You don't have to join the union, but you do have to pay a certain amount of union dues. You hear people use the phrase closed shop. Um, that's absolutely not true. Like closed shop has been around since the Wagner act, you mm-hmm. know, um, in the 1940s. So that it's not the case. There's no place that where you are, you absolutely have to join the union, but with fair share, you don't have to join, but you have to pay a certain, per, certain percentage. And, um, Janice did away with that. um, and so that was what was it May of last year mm-hmm. it happened yeah. um and then it's you know folks argue about how this is <laughs> it might be beneficial for unions because it's going to force them to you know the ones that that have kind of uh gotten comfortable with transactional uh with um service with essentially just providing a service as opposed to an opportunity for worker empowerment, it's going to force them to actually go out and do stuff for their members. Um, I will say, and I'm being absolutely sincere, not just because of the disclaimer that I gave at the beginning, WA is like a really good union. They're like the best union ever worked for. And so they've consistently, like, I don't have a whole lot of um, fear that WA isn't going to be able to keep membership, but I can certainly think of locals in my head that are going to have to change like you adapt or die you know and that's kind of the way that the union movement um the direction that they're going and so i don't know i decided after like, it was like the day after a janice decision i'm like i'm not gonna be afraid anymore like i'm gonna do the best that i can and uh you know whatever happens happens like i don't like i didn't get into the union movement to be afraid it's the opposite (laughs) So, um, and I, I think that the wave of strikes you've seen as a result is is really inspiring, you know, in the wake of this decision. And so um, that's like the one thing. And just despite everything that's going on politically with the current regime and stuff like that, like that's a really, I think, a ray of hope in terms of what's, you know, in contrast to what's been going on. You yeah. mean the ray of hope is um, seeing people's
5: response to the Janus decision being increased unionism instead of... An well, I was saying, this, right, yeah, I was yeah. saying this,
3: the strike specifically, mm-hmm. the teacher strikes, and that it's, you know, it's, again, led by women. I think that's really remarkable. Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah I know we were freaking out to an extent, like, about how how are we going to keep our union membership? Like, we are, we've we always only had, like, a hand, like, two or three people on fair share. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, how are we going to make sure that we, and it hasn't really hit us in all of East County. almost all the unions are at about the same percentage of fair of non-members as we were of fair share members before so and if and even then like in my local we definitely saw people who had been fair share come around and be like well no I'll just be a member it's you know so that has been really relieving but it doesn't mean that we can get comfortable oh absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah and I know that Everyone is thinking that and is planning for that. And it has been um, exciting seeing people's language around what are we going to do change and to make it a little bit more um, exciting and (laughs) a little bit more energetic and more about how can we get more people in Mm -hmm. into that core and into that to so that we're keeping the momentum up and we're not losing members as Janice ages.
5: Yeah, we're talking a little bit about the strength, I'm assuming like at the local level and also maybe at the state and national level, kind of the strength of your membership and maintaining those numbers. But a big, um, I think a fear that people were um, facing in the Janus decision and that I think continues to be with us is the building level relationships Mm -hmm. when you have some people who are essentially freeloaders and others who are paying their union dues. And I think that's something that we have yet to, at least in my local, we have yet to really come to terms with what does that look like um in a uh, environment where people are increasingly, increasingly new teachers are increasingly making that choice, even if we retain people on our roles that have been teachers, you know for years, that as new teachers come in and get to choose to be a union member or not, what are we doing to make sure that um, they feel welcome and that that they feel that that's an essential part of being a part of their you know their building site, because I think the Abu decision that came, I think it was that the 1973 decision that made it such that we could have agency fee was meant in part to ameliorate those those uh, workplace relationships where there was a lot of pressure to join the union and people felt that there you know mm-hmm. there was um, ambiguity and animosity in those relationships. You know, so I think that's besides just keeping the the roster of members. You know, at the state and local level, that those interpersonal
4: relationships are something that may change as well. It's really hard to tell someone with $40,000 of debt, like that. It's hard to convince them why that they need to spend the money to pay their dues if you're not offering them something worth those dues. Mm -hmm. So I think that has been a big consideration of like, besides contract bargaining, besides, you know, representation, what more do we need to really validate those expenses that people coming in with tremendous amounts of debt, you know, what, what
3: are we offering them? Oh my God. I wish I had $40,000 <laughs> worth of debt. <laughs> <laughs> More than that. Um, but I was going to say like with the, cause we've, uh, talked about this at our council actually. Um, and again, full disclaimer, none of the opinions expressed by Katie are necessarily respect, uh, reflect the opinions of WA. But like one of the things I said was that uh, like when you ask people for membership, you have to believe that they are they're going to be a better per, like they're going to be in a better situation as a result of being a union member. Like you can't go in there and ask them for eight hundred bucks or whatever. Like you can't act like that.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: You have right. to convince yourself, <laughs> yeah, that they are in a better position as a result of paying the eight hundred dollars because they're going to get it back. So you know however many. Mm-hmm. Uh, However much. And like that was proven with the strikes. I mean, in Southwest Washington. um, Now, if you have 17 years of experience, which is a long time, I'm not going to, you know, knock that, but you have 17 years of experience and a master's degree, you will top out. The lowest you will top out is 93. And then the highest is um, $98,000, which is, I mean, that's pretty good that's what teachers should be paid if not more honestly Mm -hmm. uh for for the jobs that teachers have which is producing is you know they they very clearly produce a social good like that is unequivocally the the truth and um it's not valued the way that it should be but that's still a fact and um you know they they clearly saw the result of um the the power of union membership. Now, is it a? Are we going to be getting those raises every year? Of course not, right? So that's something to keep in mind. But you know, M- in fact, when you look at those kind of funding cycles
5: in the past in Washington State, you're looking at these maybe 20 year funding cycles where this is the raise that we get. You know, but between now and and 20, you yeah. know, 40 or something. So so, it, um, well, I, you don't want to assume that that's going to be the truth. It is really important to fight for the funding that was due us from the state that was earmarked for that specific purpose because it's not coming again next year. Right, you know?
3: right, yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's like, I've read that like uh, young people are, it's a simple majority but like peop- millennials are s- um, a majority in favor of, un- like they have a favorable, favorable opinion of unions. Mm-hmm. So as long as we do our job and make union membership relevant to their lives, like I think that we should be fine and maybe I'm being I'm not being cautious enough, Um, but I feel like, I I like to act optimistic because I feel like that's a reflection of my politics. Like we always have to be optimistic, I feel, else we just (laughs) descend into this (laughs) deep hole of cynicism. It's like, well, what 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 good is that? Seymour, the teachers are fed up. You have to start putting money back into the school. You cut back on everything. Salaries,
5: supplies, the food, I don't care what you say, I can taste the
7: newspaper.
1: Posh. Shredded newspapers add much-needed roughage and essential inks. Besides, you didn't notice the old gym mats.
0: There's very little meat in these gym mats. Our demands are very reasonable. By ignoring them, you're selling out these children's futures. Oh,
1: come on, Edna. We both know these children have no future. (laughs) Prove me wrong, kids. Prove me wrong.
2: Uh, can you yeah can we bring in these things local can you talk about like the because i think that both was it both uh like vancouver school districts and also at the support work uh support staff i think both had uh either you know were either about to or did go on strike for a little bit and it's like can you in within the last shit four months six months
5: yeah, so maybe I can talk a little bit about um, the Evergreens' experience, and then Candy, if you want to talk a little bit about Vesp and the support staff sure. experience. Um, uh, so we have um, a like I said, we're one of the largest locals in the state, and um, the largest in Southwest Washington. So a couple years just to rewind, a couple years ago, um, when the state, the union at the state level, began to see that okay, it looks like. Um, we are going to be receiving money based on this McCleary decision, which is the historical Supreme Court decision in, in Washington State that said um that the legislature was not doing its what's called paramount duty. The Washington State has a special constitution that um states that the paramount duty of the state is to fund public education. So the Supreme Court called the legislature on that and said, Hey, you're not doing your job. Um legislature continued to not fund education and was held in contempt of court until finally last year they squeezed out um, a deal that was kind of a, a basic um, uh, backfill on some funding that we needed, but it, it, it hasn't, let's say, been like a huge boon um, to education. So in leading up to that decision, we got a lot of support from our state-level organizers, a lot of help from staff in forming strong contracts um, leading up to uh, the, that legislative decision last year. Um, partly with the idea that, hey, we need to really work to create a strong standard and a strong sort of floor in terms of salaries and benefits um, if we know that a lot of things are going to get renegotiated, um, w- what ended up being this past year. So we got um, some help from the state level union um, a couple of years ago in our most recent contract. And then when the McCleary money came down, um, we ended up being uh, we had just a worked to have a reopener on our contract just in terms of um, salaries in the final year of that three-year um, contract. So one thing that I think was really interesting was um, we have, like Candy said, I think WEA is a great union in so many respects, lots of problems like any giant, you know, body of, um, <laughs> of teachers or, or professionals would be, but... Um, we have had a lot of support from them. It happened that our strike last year happened in a year when there was tons of strikes going around on around the state because of that legislative change in funding. So we ended up um having rank and file and some just kind of local leadership stepping into roles that would have traditionally been staff roles. Um traditionally meaning in any normal strike context, staff would come from, you know, different parts of the state um to help uh do the organizing work. So for us it was really a great experience in terms of building leadership at the local level we had to have just our union brothers and sisters who um, were ready to go back to work in September have to step out of preparing for that role and instead work as zone leads and picket captains and and strike coordinators um, in a way that was really unique. I think it it was great for us to be able to work hand in hand with WEA staff, with state level staff, um, but also to have the power to um, be making those decisions and doing that, organizing ourselves.
3: Yeah, there were uh 16 strikes last year for WEA, which is a lot. I'm told mm-hmm. it felt like a lot. Shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was, um, uh, I, I was negotiating the contracts for my locals. And so, um, I w I worked, it was like, I think a 22 days straight. Like I didn't, I, I kind of, it was, it was a blur. It was a mm-hmm. lot of work though. Um, and so that's historical. Like, we're probably not going to see that again. Um, but uh, in terms of your question, there were... So there were 16 strikes, and then seven of them were in southwest Washington. Um, eight, if you count uh, the VAFs strike. So e- we call them ESPs. They're basically non-instructional staff. Um, so everybody but the teachers and everybody but the administrators, obviously, uh, excluding management. And so they... Um, everybody received the Cleary money, you know, and so... Um, I think management thinks that they can withhold it um, to a greater degree from non-instructional staff because they don't see them as quite as militant. And yeah. uh, VASP uh, certainly proved them wrong. Mm-hmm. So VASP was on strike for, okay, so it's so it technically eight minutes, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to understand how mm-hmm. much work goes into the buildup. Mm-hmm. Like you build up, you know, whether or not you think like we're going to settle the last minute. And so it was a lot of work. Um, and so all the strikes, like all the signs were made. Um, and, uh, <laughs> it's funny is that we just took old signs and then we printed, uh, Vancouver education support personnel and we just stuck it on the name of the, what was like a Hawkinson education <laughs> on strike sign. Uh, it's like kind of guerrilla strike organizing. Well, there and you so, go. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, they received like the lowest paid workers, um, in uh Vancouver school district, got like a two dollar an hour raise, mm. so that was pretty significant. Um, so yeah, what was the other thing that you had asked? I'm sorry, Jeremy.
2: I don't remember. Um, I think it was just just tie- tying it into just because lo- uh, I just wanted you know like the national story into like the local action.
3: Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So okay. So it's funny. So I'm, I enjoyed labor history, reading about labor history in my um, free time. And so all of a sudden I heard, there's a guy, there's my friend, Naomi uh his name's Joe Burns. He wrote reviving the strike. And he said he referenced, so he keeps posting on Facebook, like all these articles about the teacher strikes. Right. And then he posted about WA and then that's the more traditional strike, which is funny because it's like, what, how, I feel like I I take umbrage with the way that strikes are defined, um, because ultimately it's about worker empowerment, right? But we're kind of (laughs) in the wake of, like, Wagner Act still, like, kind of bureaucratizing strikes. So anyway, Mm -hmm. my whole point is that, like, I got into... Like, I disagree with him about the 2006 Mayday strike, which was all about, it was like day without an immigrant. So, like, a bunch of people didn't go to work as a way of uh, demonstrating um, how important uh, immigrant labor is. And he doesn't consider that a strike. He's like, oh, that was a political strike. And I'm like, people didn't go to work. Like, how is that? Strike a strike, yeah. A strike a strike. And, like, even historian and Kim Moody, who would not take a selfie with me... <laughs> Kim Moody wouldn't take a selfie with me. Like he recognizes the Mayday strike as a strike. And so now because you have teachers doing these walkouts and these strikes and they're in, they're not striking the employer, they're striking the state, so to speak, um, that that's how that lives over here. Um, and then there's traditional strikes and then there's political strikes. It's like, dude, people aren't going to work. <laughs> that's a strike. Um, so anyway, I mean yeah, there there's so so the the ones that we're seeing, I think LA would be considered a traditional strike because um they had a a fund balance of like 30%, which when we say thir- fund balance reserves, right? The 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 district had a reserve of 30% of um their overall budget, which is like enormous. Like for for folks who are not familiar with with how public finance works and I know this Huge. is like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it's like you should I'm not going to prescribe uniformly, but, like, if you have that large of a district, like, 3 to 5% is fine. Yeah. Like, you're fine. Like, state funding is, compared to the private sector, um, what do you call it? Very consistent. You know what I mean? And so you shouldn't have a reserve of more than 3% 4%. And the only way that you build that up is by not paying people, you know? Um, so, and that was the same way with, like, uh, the Southwest, the the strikes in Washington. They had received all this money, and then they were essentially trying to stash it away and like it's not even going to like it's not like in the private sector where it's going to a CEO like they're just sitting on it mm-hmm. and um but whereas like West Virginia and Arizona and stuff like that the target was the state for not adequately funding education and so that's um probably what you you know would see more in Oregon because in Washington we got the money it was just about the bosses giving it to people mm-hmm. whereas Oregon you're um i think Correct me if I'm wrong. It's a matter of actually being able to generate the funding to adequately pay for education. Yeah.
4: So Oregon's funding conundrum kind of comes from 1990 um, when we passed Measure 5. Um, so in a lot of states and up until 1990, funding is, for schools happens largely at the local level through property taxes. Um, and then is the rest of it's made up for state fund like income tax in measure five flipped it so that about 65 percent of the funds that schools public schools receive in oregon come from income tax and like state fund budget um and then the rest is comes from the local uh, property taxes um which kind of made it we're fighting it's pitting public sort you know funds against each other so we're now coming from the same state budget as everything else that the state legislature has to fund. And it also makes it a little bit more volatile because like, if you think about income tax and how much we're bringing in, in 2008 versus now, you know, that's a big dip in funding. Um, And then, of course, in 96, 97, we limited how much we could raise property taxes as well. So Oregon is also not allowed to raise property taxes to increase school funds, like voters struck that down. And then we have in like 99, we looked at, they did a big study and they, every biennium, they do what's called the quality education model in Oregon. So they study and they come out with this budget of this is what we need to fund education properly in Oregon You know, we need to do this, we need to do that. And every single year, um, the legislature has to come up with a report on why they can't do that. Mm -hmm. So we've never had it funded properly. Every year they come up with their, well, we didn't get enough money here, we didn't get money there, this is why we can't fund education properly. And that legally exempts them from having to meet the quality education model that, you know, the experts have said we need. So that is the problem that we're looking at with funding for Oregon right now. Um, We do. And it's always been like a lot of hand wringing. You know, we go as OEA and we are like, oh, you know, we my local like I can look at my my paraeducators. They literally have to have a fundraiser like party. Um, just so that they can have an emergency fund. So if one of them goes to the hospital, they can get an emergency Like, they're not paid enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're like, the district knows this. Like, the district knows we pay our people so poorly that they have to have a fundraiser. But when you go to the bargaining table, when you go to the state, when you talk to any legislator, it's a lot of like, but there's just where we just don't have the money. Mm-hmm. And we can't do anything. Like, Oregon won't pass the sales tax and oh, what to do, you know? <laughs> yeah,
2: funny <And>, how <laughs> all these issues strangely over, overlap, I wonder. I know. Yeah.
4: And so now, this year, we have, like, the supermajority, and people are fired up, and they're like, yes, we can finally, like, you don't have that excuse of yeah. no Republicans will sign on for this, so it'll never pass. Um, we can actually, like, make some, like, comprehensive changes, because, you know, we have pretty low graduation rates, but we also have the lowest corporate income tax in the whole United States. Um, we don't fund education properly, but you know we make these sweetheart deals with Nike, saying, mm-hmm. well, we won't tax you though, you know? So people are talking about, people are getting fired up. It's become part of everyday conversation around education, conversation around education, finally. Um, but there's still, you know, it's, it's that very passive Oregon <laughs> demeanor of, like, well, but it'll go to referendum. And it's like, we don't care. <laughs> like, let's get it done. All right,
1: I'd like to call this meeting of the PTA to diddly order and let's see if we can't put an end to this strike fuss, huh? Mrs. Carbapo, why don't you begin? Boo!
5: Oh, boo yourself. Our demands are simple, a small cost of living increase and some better equipment and supplies for your children. Oh, that's
6: Give it to (laughs) us.
1: Yeah, in a dream world, we have a very tight budget to do what she's asking. We'd have to raise taxes.
5: Raise! Way oh, right yeah. too high as it what, are Taxes are bad. It's your children's future.
7: Children, oh, yes. Yes. children are important.
1: Is, yes. It'll cost you. Go to taxes. You're going to
0: raise taxes. Come on. Come on. All right, that's a good point. Yes.
6: Oh, oh, I'm not yeah. The, taxes. That, that cool. the I a thing pay. means to taxes.
1: Well, I guess this is a case where we'll have to agree to disagree. I don't agree to that.
4: Neither do I.
1: Oh, this is a deli of a pickle.
4: So yeah, so when we're talking about like we have the supermajority and like teachers are talking about it more, we're talking about it in like a very vernacular sense and like we're talking about how we're funding education on a very accessible level. And I think part of it is getting people engaged and involved in things that don't seem too radical, but also are speaking to them. So, you know, we're on the eve of uh, President's Day, and President's Day for OEA is going to be a big action in Salem, trying to get a thousand members to show up and march on the Capitol. Which I, their goal was a thousand. I think they're going to have way more than a thousand there tomorrow. Cool. Um, is my prediction. <laughs> oh. Um, like my local had a, like, a goal of bringing 10% and I think we're bringing like 20 some percent. New at noon, a rally is just wrapping up in Salem. Several thousand people came out to the state capitol to support public education. KGW's Tim Gordon is there live this noon. Tim, the teachers union put this on.
6: Brenda, it did so. You know, it was well organized. I'll step out of the way and show you kind of the remnants of the rally here. Uh, I'd say there are close to 4,000 people here at its height. There were teachers and students and families here at the Capitol to say Oregon needs to step up.
3: They deserve pencils,
0: copy paper,
3: rulers, binders,
0: backpacks, staples, the basics!
6: Yeah, they got fired up for that message too. A teacher from Rosa Parks Elementary in Portland got the crowd going at one point. People from all over the state came in for this rally. They lamented Oregon's large class sizes, low graduation rates, and low level of funding by national standards. The problems created, they say, range from poor learning environments to even dangerous ones. KGW's Kristen Severance recently exposed the crisis of out-of-control kids who need more help than a teacher can provide. And the support, they say, is just not there this was a call to action for lawmakers to better fund education
4: but i have friends who are here um, for that event who are going to come down with me who are teachers in southern oregon and so a lot of when you hear legislators hem and haw about well you know but can we actually get it done without it going to referendum i think they think more towards like but what will the people in the rest of the state say because i'm from douglas county there's a huge divide Um, in Oregon, where they're like, there's Portland, and then there's everybody else, or there's Portland, Eugene, Salem, and everybody else. Um, And there's a lot of resentment from the rest of Oregon towards Portland. But with this education issue and the momentum that's been building with different teacher strikes, teachers are kind of waking up to like, oh, right, we don't have what we need. Um, They did the big study on disrupted learning and they went across the state and we all have the same stories. Like every single district in the state has needs of students that aren't being met by their current funding. We all need more counselors. We all need more special educators. We all need more supports for our students who are coming with less due to outside economic factors, due to... environment at large in Oregon and the economy at large in Oregon. Um, and I think that's been really unifying unifying for teachers across the
5: state. Not just in Oregon, That we've been talking right. a lot about that in Washington. There was just a big conference, sort of a conference rally, I think, in Tacoma with folks from around the state about exactly that issue. Exactly. Disrupted learning, student safety, teacher safety.
4: And they're realizing it's not just an urban issue. It's not just you know, these children coming in urban centers that are that don't have these social-emotional skills. No, it's kids in Pendleton, it's kids in Medford, it's mm-hmm. kids in Umatilla. It's all across the state of Oregon where we're seeing the same results of different societal factors. Um, and so doing actions like the one in Salem, it's not, my, I'm a big voice for, or I've, I advocated pushing for it, not because I think it'll matter at all to legislators they're gonna hear the message they'll do whatever they do with it that they always do with it they'll go oh we stand with teachers we totally agree and then not change their minds or do anything it it won't do anything with legislators the ones who are with us are with us the ones who don't want to increase school funding are probably going to give some lip service and then just go back to work um but it's about building that confidence in teachers, that you showed up, you held a sign, and you stood up for, and it's being framed as for your students. Because ultimately, almost mm-hmm. every single teacher doesn't, like their funding, their pensions are important, but they're not the most. The most important thing is that That's right. we are going into classrooms where we don't have what we need to meet the students' needs, not our needs. Um, right. the, it's about like what we have to give to the kids. Um, And I think as we do more accessible actions like this, we're gonna see the momentum keep up if we can continue to do things that are safe for people who've never been politically activated. Um, I've been able to talk to my friends who are here from Southern Oregon and like they'll they'll start talking about something. I'm like, you know, like these are some pretty uh, socialist ideas you're talking about, Mm -hmm. you know? Like (laughs) slipping in the like, Wow, well, you know what Mark said about that. <laughs> you know, and it's really like bringing up conversations that people have never had before, not because they don't agree with them, but just because they don't have the words or the language around it. And it is a different world in Portland than it is in Douglas County um, in some ways, but the struggles are still the same. It's just about how people talk about it mm-hmm. and like where where they're... Um, availability, like, of ways to, places to have these conversations. Yeah,
5: I, that's one of the <laughs> real joys of doing organizing work, too, right, that a lot of times the people that you would assume are not allies, you assume this conversation's mm-hmm. going to be hard, you're going into it kind of with your defenses up, like, oh, it's going to be hard to get this person to get on board with our direct action, and and you'll find allies where you wouldn't expect it. And by the same token, you'll assume people are your allies in something because they got the right hairstyle or they live in the right neighborhood <laughs> and they are just not ready to take that step. It's so interesting. Yeah,
3: yeah, I know what haircut you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Yeah. Well, I would say, like, the difference between Oregon and Washington, if we're, ta- if we're just talking about the Pacific Northwest, um... Is that in Washington we got the money right Mm -hmm. and everybody got raises Um, there's variants but like most people got raises Um, definitely the majority of the state and uh, so it's like we got the raises now what and our now now our thing is like well now we want more uh, counselors and psychs and nurses Mm -hmm. because we have our own funding formula and it is also um, inadequate and so You know it's hot like the way i see it it's like how to members push other members um to understand that like we're asking for these things because the kids that are coming into the classrooms are like so fucked up like from Mm -hmm. personal like from their parents working three jobs and not being um around to tutor them or Mm -hmm. or just even provide parental nurturing and um uh and all and all the stuff that that are um direct consequence of of capitalism and so you know the I personally see it as a limitation that the best we could ask for is just more counselors because it seems to me like that's a band-aid like yeah. what we need are better jobs in the <laughs> state like that we pay better housing. Just, yeah housing <laughs> yeah. like we need so many more things for our students
5: and I think it's it's interesting we I mean the if you're talking about the Washington state example we have that um, that huge push to get the McCleary decision to get that funding but I think if you asked members throughout the state at any point during that you know time what is it that you need most some people would certainly say you know salary and benefits but a lot of people parallel to that whole process were asking for better staffing levels asking for smaller class sizes asking for um, a a complex mix of whether it's more counselors more support staff and so um, I think it's it's frustrating that there's a way to frame that struggle from the outside is like, OK, now you guys, got, you know, you got this money and now you want this, too. or you, No, those are two complex parallel drives that have been going on in education for decades in Washington state.
3: You know, the need for staffing and the need for salaries, you know. But, do, but my point is that, like, that's the difference between union consciousness and political consciousness is that. Union consciousness is saying we still need counselors, whereas political consciousness would be like, no, we need jobs for people like mm-hmm. we need housing. And so it's hard to get people that I would say, like, I I think our council are like is a pretty good by labor note standards. <laughs> everybody's pretty pl- uh, union consciousness, or at least that's the way that I see it in mm-hmm. our in our council. But they're not to the point. Of recognizing that the reason why the students come to class so fucked up is because they're poor <laughs> is because of poverty and that's the number one indicator I mean they know that mm-hmm. right that socioeconomic status is the number one indicator of student success mm-hmm. but I don't think that they see the union as a way of alleviating that mm-hmm. yeah and that's the that's that's what I see as as um, our job as well uni- Well, I'm a staffer I can't do anything <laughs> right so but as you know the types of conversations need to happen within members and that type of vision we do like an educator roundtable
4: in east county um every year and you know we have like five or six different legislators come and they sit and they listen to teachers and it i've gone for the last few years and this year was i definitely could feel the change though in conversation because we started talking about this the whole oea's push on disruptive learning has been going on for like over a year they've been OEA has been doing listening sessions, town hall. So people are very well aware and very well spoken on the challenges in their classrooms, which has always been what we talk about in an educator roundtable. But this year, I think I, you know, chimed in pretty early and said, like, you know, we talk about this, but we all as teachers recognize that it's an intersectional struggle. This isn't just about... Teaching, it's about housing, it's about food, it's about healthcare access, it's about all these things. And I just saw everyone who was kind of at the table with me was
3: like, yeah! <laughs>
4: <laughs> and you know, like, we've been dealing with this and Reynolds and Gresham and Park Rose and David Douglas for years. Like, this disruptive learning conversation, like, we've been having it forever. You know, now that Beaverton's having it, it's getting a little more KGW attention, but, you know. <laughs> um,
2: Funny how these things tend to develop that way, yeah.
4: But I think, mm-hmm. and I mean, granted, East County, like Uniserve and our unions are a little farther left. We're the ones that push singing Solidarity Forever instead of the mm-hmm. <laughs> national anthem at at the union things. Like, we're we, recognizing that I am in kind of a... <laughs> exceptionally left area of oea um we like i i'm hearing much more and seeing much more of the political consciousness um attached to the union um consciousness just in how we're talking about the struggles in schools and i think we'll be seeing and hearing more and more about it because like there is so much conversation around housing, there is so much conversation, just nationally and especially at the state. Um, And the more that we have that and we can connect these issues as all being part of one big capitalist pie, um, I think we're gonna hear those conversations changing, just even with your non-activated members. I think it speaks to
5: the importance too of um, solidarity among locals, because when you Mm -hmm. think about doing you know actions to change our housing affordable housing situation or access to health care. It's not gonna be your local teachers' union that's you know doing that on their own. It's because we're able to build coalitions across you know different labor mm-hmm. sectors and do whether it's legislative yeah. priorities or or more direct stuff
4: well, I'm building those connections between like y'all are trying to pass like comprehensive funding for housing like teachers care Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we got thousands of members that might be interested in knocking doors if you just if we can bridge those that's right common issues
2: yeah Uh, since we're running out of time uh really uh, can you talk about uh your experience in los angeles
3: no i can't because i wasn't able to freaking go i had i was there Uh. for a training and then i ditched the second day to try to get over there and it was too late oh yeah i was super sad
1: that
2: sucks
3: yeah it does suck
7: i agree Hundreds of teachers in Oakland hitting the picket lines for the second day of their strike, and they're adding something new to their list of demands. Teachers are rallying and marching right now.
3: This as the negotiations between the union and the school district are back on this afternoon.
7: KPX 5's Kit Doe is live in Oakland for the very latest. Kit. Yeah, this is day two and it continues to pick up momentum. This is the largest gathering of the strike so far. Multiple marches have converged here at DeFremery Park. Thousands gathered here, an impressive display of community support. And the district has taken notice. Right now, both sides are behind closed doors at an undisclosed location at the negotiating table and both sides are hopeful. Day two of the big strike started well before sunrise, and it was no mistake that one of the largest protests of the morning was here at Roots International Academy. Back in December, the board voted to close roots by the end of the year because of low test scores. And they're not the only ones. In fact, the district is looking at closing or consolidating a number of schools with dwindling enrollment. And so on the second day of the big strike, the teachers' union is adding school closures to its list of demands, which already include smaller class sizes and better pay.
6: To address our the, the bargaining demands, you must address the issue of school closures. So, That conversation will happen between um, OEA and the school district.
2: Can you give any suggestions for where people listening in who want to, like, either learn more or help support, say, local Portland metro or even, I mean, well, this is this show is listened to by the show is listened to by people in Estonia. Um, awesome. in the American context, any suggestions or recommendations you can give to folks about how they can t- they can support slash get involved or even like find out more?
4: You don't have to be a business leader. You don't have to be a parent. You don't have to be anybody. You don't have to be a homeowner, but to run for school boards, so mm-hmm. that's a big step. Like that's not like a little thing you can do, but a big mm-hmm. thing you can do is start like talking about who we are electing for school boards and who we are electing for state rep positions. And these sort of people who have a more direct hand and a la- louder voice and funding um, and realizing like people get into these roles and then they learn as they go. Like you don't have to be a political science background to get into school board or to get, even be a state rep. Like if you are passionate and you have the ability to do so, like let's, encourage people with the right ideas to start running for elected positions or if you
5: have friends that have heard maybe once or twice that they should be running for office and they haven't taken somebody <laughs> up it's really important to keep asking those natural leaders in your community um, if they're able to, especially for school board it's an area that i know we have a, a lot of need
2: yeah, you know, that was the that was the thing of like when the when the religious right, moral majority, was getting gaining power in the seventies and eighties. They targeted school boards across the country, mm-hmm. and because it was kind of wasn't seen as a site of struggle, they they won they uh, they won a lot.
4: Mm-hmm. Hell, even just like neighborhood associations, like just people getting involved in these very small sections um, of the electoral system. Um, Although I do not feel like electoral is the ultimate answer to everything, um, I do feel like we can make change, you know, through dual power and building some strength in those areas. Yeah. I want to just say it's small thing too that um, it feels dorky, but um, if
5: you can, I really enjoy asking people in my daily life about their union membership. You're at the store. It's okay just to ask somebody like, "Oh, and is this a union rep?" Like to begin to have those um, conversations, and I know to have that it feels important to me to have that part of my um, of my life visible for my students too. Just to normalize that, hey, we're it's normal to be a union member. It's normal to be active in your union. It's something that we talk about. It's something that is a big part of our lives.
3: I would recommend um being a part of the portland dsa labor working group and we actually have really <laughs> three r- super relevant things coming up
2: awesome go for it
3: one is um one way to 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 learn more and get involved is to uh, try to start a union at your work uh so we're doing a how do you how to organize a union 101 class it's on uh, wednesday february 27th at six thirty at the uh, sunnyside community house and so you have to register to attend so um uh, contact uh, someone at a uh, labor working group at, at Portland DSA um, in order to register um, another thing is uh, there's a socialist job fair um, and that's Wednesday March 27th from 630 to 830 uh, the location is TBA cause it's a little bit away but um, that's going on and then there's of course the labor note school if you want to talk about that Marge
5: Oh, um, yeah, the Labor Notes uh, as an organization has put on these schools in Portland. um, uh, Let's see, last one was two years ago. We have one coming up on April 6th. I know our um, Uniserve has uh, agreed to donate and send some members. Our local also at EEA is going to be sending some folks. It's just an opportunity to get together with others. You don't have to be a union member, but it's a place to learn about how to create union solidarity, how to build stronger campaigns um, and networks within and across unions. It's been a really valuable mm-hmm. experience for people who have gone in the past We're looking forward to it this year. So again, that's April 6th. It's from 9 to four thirty, 30, um, likely up by the airport at the Carpenter's Training Center.
4: And that's what's really cool about the Labor Notes like Troublemaker School and like pretty much anything with Labor Notes is that I'm a teacher, but I'm also working with the head of the construction or union, you know, with People who are pipe fetters, people who are nurses, people who are very different um, organizations than I am, um, but we all are in the same struggle. And I highly recommend, no matter where you are in the United States, keeping an eye out for Labor Notes because they're in, fa- you know, so focused, or not focused, um, their main headquarters is in like Detroit. Situated but, in there. Yes, yeah, yeah. situated
2: yeah the, the that's one thing I will, will recommend reading if you can subscribing even better to labor reporting either labor notes proper or there's also the Northwest labor press mm-hmm. uh, the latest issue I think is somewhere over on that pile of stuff that I need <laughs> to read um which you can you know it's the kind of thing where yeah this is labor reporting's been going well shit all all reporting in journalism's been under attack for years and um there and but there are ways that you can kind of uh because the ad, the ad supported model of journalism is once say finally dying but you can still support that yeah support it because like it's cheap subscriptions and it's gonna it'll help um help people get out there and write up the stuff and get it documented um in fact i think yeah well, i think Dom is one of the one of the main reporters for Northwest Labor Press. Is also a DSA member. Also, yeah, the uh, a a podcast you might want to check out is the Belabored podcast. That I believe is is either connected to either Labor Notes or Dissent Magazine. Descent. Was, yeah, hosted by um, hosted by Sarah Jaffe and Michelle Chen. And they, um, they, you know, they, uh, like it comes out every, I think every two weeks or so, but, they, you know, and again, it's interviews and conversations with people on the ground fighting this. And Sarah Jaffe went out there with her podcasting kit and was out broadcasting from, uh, from you know, Los Angeles. And, you know, it's kind of a thing where, you know, <laughs> strikes and organized labor is like, this stuff isn't going away. We're, we are returning to we're kind of like almost going to be forced to return to like 1930s level of of uh, labor mobilization just to start fighting back against decades of demobilization and neoliberal bullshit and all sorts of stuff
4: my favorite um union radical podcast is not not classically a union podcast but i highly think i highly i think highly of street fight radio as being an amazing radicalizing talking about workplace issues for being the number one anarcho comedy podcast. Um, they really break down labor struggle in a very easy to
3: digest uh, way. <laughs>
4: mm-hmm.
2: Out of Columbus, Ohio. <laughs>
3: uh, if I could also recommend Working History by the Southern, Lab- uh, Southern Labor Studies Association, they give, like, they interview a lot of authors, so they're uh, highly, highly trained in their field. Um, and they're always really good.
2: Oh, also, there's a there's a UK podcast called Working Class Histories mm-hmm. that'll go really. I mean, they went they'll have like episodes about, oh, good God, uh, you know, like history of the IWW or they they did an episode about the League of uh, Revolutionary Black Workers. Um, and so
4: is their Instagram. If you don't have time for podcasts in your life. Mm-hmm. even just our instagram has great stories and pictures <laughs> instagram
2: and their are in the facebook feed and there's i think Maximilian malvarez has a uh, has a good podcast about talking to working class people who don't get hurt otherwise that i will link to in the show notes anything you, uh Margie, anything you you could recommend as for stuff that folks folks could no, this made
5: me realize that i i feel like i'm sort of a late comer to the podcast so i've been furiously like writing on my hand another um the making notes about uh, podcasting is something that um i'm be just only beginning to learn about so I'm excited to explore some of
2: those yeah I can even um, that's the thing is it's it's, it's been it's, this has been like my primary medium of what I, of how I've like learned about the world and even enjoyed yeah. Christ like 10 years now like Absolutely. more yeah, more great. so than you know TV books music uh, video games movies uh, you know I have earbuds in my head like 12 hours a day or yeah. stuff like that and, um, and yeah it's kind of you know as a educational and agitational radicalizing format they're great for it um,
5: yeah, I have noticed, like, I feel like I, I only have, I think, one podcast on my, you know, feed or whatever, and it's um, Reveal for investigative journalism, because I feel like there isn't much investigative journalism um, going on uh, outside of that. But that's, that's interesting. I'll try to explore some kind of labor history and stuff. I um, say, if you like any
2: suggestions, I can offer you 20. Nice. Um, I subscribe to more than a few dozen shows that I listen to occasionally.
1: Lousy teachers trying to palm off our kids on us.
2: But Dad! striking they're trying to affect a change in
0: management so that they can be happier and more productive
1: lisa if you don't like your job you don't strike you just go in every day and do it really half-assed that's the american way
2: all right wrapping things up so if you have anything, any other like upcoming events to promote
3: i can offer that i'm a member of the hands off venezuela portland group So if you are interested in learning more about uh, what's going on in Venezuela and um, why we should oppose any type of military intervention, please go ahead and find us on Facebook and like us.
5: Yeah, same with I would say, too, um, whether it's your local teachers union, um, your uh, UNISERV, a labor council, if you're on Facebook... or uh, you find that those organizations have um, other ways of reaching out, it's not hard to just follow them to find out what's going on with your local teachers. I know Facebook Mm -hmm. is what we happen to use, but there might be other locals that, um, you know, have an open forum like that where you can find out what's a priority for your teachers' local.
4: Yeah, yeah, and I would be more than happy to talk to people about... Issues in teaching or issues or getting involved in, like, hyper-local government is also Mm -hmm. something I always want to try to get people to join community organizations and, like, radicalize their neighborhood associations. So if anyone ever wants to talk to me, um, I'm jody.folkdoll at gmail.com. And Jeremy will post the link because my name's not super easy to spell. Mm -hmm. But uh, (laughs) I always love talking to people about things like that so and i'm not on twitter really so
3: that would have been much easier <laughs> yeah neither am i i still don't understand twitter like i have one but just the concept yeah is just irre- irreconcilable in my mm-hmm. like why yeah i'll get if you send me a message i'll get it like five months later right. yep. <laughs>
2: and jokes and hey. jokes and cat pictures and like <laughs> podcast links to like dude, listen to this Anyway, I'd like to thank thank you all for joining me today. And also, if you'd like to get in touch with the show at all, no one ever does, but I still uh, throw these out there. You can uh, email us at givingthemike at gmail dot com.
3: I just want to say one last thing before we left.
2: Go for it. Fuck charter schools.
3: Yeah, I don't want it to. True yeah, history. I don't want to waste any. And vouchers. Oh, please let's. Oh, and vouchers, vouchers Not forget. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they were like charter schools um, emerged as a way to circumvent desegregation, and so they're just like completely indef- ind- indefensible as an institution. So I just really wanted to say that. I'm sorry, Jerry. Oh
2: no, that's the thing. Yeah, well they, said. Yeah, we we could do like another hour on charter schools. Let's say. Um oh probably should at some points, um but yes, thank you for uh good thing we get uh we get that in there too. find we are on Facebook at just look for giving the mic uh all one word. Twitter at giving the mic we if you'd like to if you like what you hear and you'd like to help us uh actually you know give some monetary support to help us make the show and pay for uh both bandwidth and uh, equipment costs because i'm using a lot of like used uh a lot of used stuff a lot of Craigslist finds for, uh, help produce the show You can find us at patreon.com dot slash uh giving the mic even like um you know like a one time donation or even like a, like a dollar a month like it helps far more than you can you'd believe. Oh, also, and if you if you happen to have iTunes and you want to give us like a little review, apparently it has like a strangely beneficial amount. Do you can give it a little rating, a little like I like the show, thanks, click, and it, uh, you know it helps it helps the algorithm share the show with others. All right, and I think that pretty much wraps everything up. If you know any final words from our assembled uh, our assembled panel,
3: thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank yeah. you.
2: Yes, thanks for coming out.
3: Yeah, thanks. This is um, yeah, I appreciate it. Again, my name is Candy. Fuck charter schools, Herrera, (laughs) and uh, you know my my information will be uh, posted on your uh, when you post podcast.
2: Excellent. All right, thank you, thank you, uh, everyone, and good night. Thank you. Uh,
0: All right,
2: and we're out.
0: There is power in the factory. There is power in the land. There is power in the hand of the worker. But it all. nothing if together we don't stand oh there is power in a union now the lessons of the past were all learned with workers blood the mistakes of the bosses we must pay for from the cities and the farmlands to the factories full of mud War has always been the boss's way, sir. The Union forever defending our rights. Down with the black flag! all workers unite with our brothers and our sisters from many far-off lands. over oh, there is power in a Union. Now I long for the morning when they all realize Brutality and unjust laws cannot defeat us But who'll defend the worker who cannot organize When the bosses send their lackeys, sir, to cheat us? Money speaks for money, the devil for his own come to speak for the skin and the bone. What a comfort to the widow and a light to the child. Oh, there is power in a union. The union forever defending our rights. Down with the black flag. All workers unite with our brothers and our sisters. Together we all stand. Oh, there is power in a union. Stay strong, Wisconsin. The Mountain
3: Goats and every musician I know are with you. Like, same thing with
4: Porky Now. I always yell at people outside of Porky Now in my head. I'm like, it's not that good. <laughs> no. There are so many better tacos in oh Portland. Like, that is not it. Which one? Porky Now.
2: can't oh, remember. Really? Yeah. I can't remember if that's the same... If that's owned by this. Is that owned by the same people who own... Uh ole, ole or I think cause, or, or the people who own Oleole, ole, There's a what is it the Takiera cha cha or am I thinking of something else? Cha cha cha. Yeah, the one. Well, the, yeah, the one that's up on Broadway. The much more like uh, bougie or fancier one. Yeah. I think it's owned by know. the same fan. Owned by the yeah uh, the same couple.
4: Yeah, I don't know. It's not bad. It's fine.
2: Yeah, it's fine. Their margaritas
4: it, are good, but like just watching people being like lined up in the rain. I'm like, oh god.
2: Yeah, at some point <laughs> it's just kind of like the uh, yeah Why? The, the fetishization and the madness of crowds. Makes you want to walk by and say, "Okay." <laughs> uh, do that. And this this is the uh, the little this is the headphone the little headphone amp that'll take that um will let us hear each other. Because the thing I learned from college radio is never let anybody talk on mic if they don't have headphones on. Yeah. Which is why so uh, which is why uh, so many like lefty podcasts because a lot of people who are really you know knowledgeable about a lot of things but never did broadcasting or college radio and always fuck up their audio and drive me nuts.
3: Mm. Dude, I have that same problem with Telesor. And, like, it never used to bother mm-hmm. me until I dated somebody who was a cinematographer. Yes. And now, before, it's just like, I'm going to listen to Telesaur. Now I'm like, fucking Telesor. Like, it doesn't matter how high I put up the volume mm. or how, the treble. Like, it's just not loud enough.
2: <laughs> yeah, there is a... I had to, um, especially when doing the... Uh, listening to the um, the kind of the like the meaning of Marxism you know the little trot book class that because somebody um, you know we're reading chapters of it for the recently concluded group somebody had did their own kind of like volunteer audiobook reading but um, sometimes the um, you know bless you know bless the dude's heart but like sometimes the his EQ was off and it would either be like kind of way too whispery or uh, or quiet or whatever and I I had to go out and find a, i found a program that will let you eq like uh any audio coming off your computer so you can do it for like youtube audio too
3: oh nice what's it called
2: um i don't <laughs> that's, that, that, um let, remind me afterwards i'll pull it up off pull it up af, uh off of my uh my work laptop but it's great because it's kind of like okay we're gonna cut we're gonna cut this frequency and you lose all the whispery all the s- 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 the, the, the oh high sibilance
3: Dude, anything that telesaur puts on youtube it's like, it. sometimes I get so upset that I can't hear it. I'm like,
2: this is not fucking worth it. <laughs> it's so right. bad, i just like, it's so bad. Yeah, all right, and let's do a, uh, the, the the real fun part is just, because we have four different people and four different mics and trying to get, let me just turn myself up in my headphones. There we go. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. Yes. Okay, and let me make sure that I don't have too much bass.